Welcome to OBS Orbit, the podcast for Open vSwitch users and developers. This is episode number 67. This episode is an interview with Levente Chikor and Gabor Ritvari from the Budapest University of Technology and Economics. They presented a talk titled The Discrepancy of the Megaflow Cache in OVS at the Open vSwitch Fall Conference in December 2018. The next day, they visited my office in Palo Alto to give a version of their talk to an audience there. They also kindly took some extra time to record this discussion with me to talk about their methods and results. On to the interview. Welcome, everybody, to OVS Orbit. And uh, today I'm talking to Levent uh, Chikor, a research associate at the Budapest University of Technology and Economics. He got his PhD there in 2015 under Gabor Ritvari, uh, who I'm also talking to. Uh, he's a senior uh, research fellow at uh, the Budapest University of Technology and Economics. So uh, before we uh, really uh, draw, uh, jump into the topic that we've got, uh, do either of you want to say anything more about yourself? So we're actually just, uh, of course, we're coming from Europe, and like from, the, I, I think that maybe like like uh, less frequently from the academic world in your podcast. So we are very happy to be here, and thank you for having us. Oh, I, I really like uh, talking to uh, academic academics because academia is where a lot of the uh, really interesting ideas that aren't necessarily uh, immediately commercial uh, come from, and. Uh, they're sort of a uh, a font of of, uh, of interesting ideas and people. So I'm I'm very glad to to have you here. Yeah, I also wanted to say that, that we were thinking about being part of this OVS orbit uh, finally, and but we thought that the first occasion that uh, we might can achieve will be a remote session. So it's an honor to be here personally at the, at VMware at the moment, uh, talking to you and seeing you. It's a uh, I guess it's much more convenient as a first uh, first talk. I would say that we can give here. So, thanks again. Yeah. Um, so, uh, both of you came in for the uh, Open vSwitch Fall Conference that uh, we we held in San Jose uh, yesterday and the day before, and uh, you presented a talk about some of your uh, research uh, related to uh, Open vSwitch and, and its performance. Uh, would one of you like to introduce the sort of the big idea uh, that that you had? Maybe I I should give the big idea and then you can go into the detail. Like yeah, if if if, if the audience is uh, <laughs> want to hear some details and can understand it. So the original idea was that uh, we are working very closely with certain uh, taco vendor <laughs> called Ericsson, and they are highly interested in new technology, and they are always experiencing trying to you know prototype different ideas on top of different new technologies, try to see how far they can go with with the with different new uh, ideas. So actually we were uh, 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 contracted by them to make a huge evaluation study of uh, different SD and switch technologies uh, on particular telco use cases. You know, telcos, uh, they have their very own and very special requirements for data plane uh, technologies. They were intrigued by the idea of software-defined networking. Uh, network softwareization, uh, uh, network function virtualization, these are all very appealing to them because they did this. The, I think that these new ideas would allow them to expand their scope and maybe move uh, or, or uh, move to, to new markets. And uh, therefore, the 
but but of course before uh, bringing something like product uh, to the market first they needed to see how far they can go with the particular technology so we we were contracted to do uh, uh, very comprehensive performance evaluation study and scalability study on top of different data plane technologies, mostly OVS. Uh, and we found OpenVis, which to be a fantastic technology. It was, it was really, uh, it was for me, it was the first experience stepping into this brave new world of software defined networking. It was really amazing that after just, you know, we showing app to install OpenVis, which we which they I immediately had a, uh, a fully open flow compliance widget on my hands to experience with. Uh, but during this, this performance study, we kind of ex uh, experienced very, uh, I think, very robust performance over a wide, wide and very broad range of different use cases, except that there were some very special uh, uh, type of uh, uh, of use cases where OpenVis which performance was uh, was uh, uh, in understandably and incomprehensibly and uh, uh, low. Where, where you just didn't understand why it was low. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. So we thought to ourselves that it would be a good idea to just play around with uh, with OVS and, and, and see how far we can go with this uh, with this idea and the end result uh, I think uh, uh, is now a good understanding of the performance uh, artifacts uh, that can arise in in the in different uh, telco related use cases in OVS. Right, and uh, I, I think what you studied is is something that uh, that not many people have really looked at. It's the the first uh, r report in that particular area. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I, I still remember that in the beginning we were, I would say, hired to compare the performance of OVS to other software features. But there were none, actually. <laughs> as far as I remember, there was the XDPD at that time, but it was really hard to compile and to and to use. And we can also uh, have open we switch on other on other um, architectures like uh, ARMs and stuff. And that was the first one who was also compiled with DPDK. So at least we could compare OVS to the performance of OVS DPDK <laughs> to have some comparison to present at some places. Uh, but yeah, that that was the that was the first time that we, when we were tried to do something with that. And since there were no uh, other competitor, we were just okay. Let's grab some pipeline. Let's see what kind of tables we can do. What kind of routing, layer two switches, and and any use cases were interesting. And we're just uh, measuring it. And uh, it was re always really interesting to just uh, connect physically these devices into the, together. And I remember that that was the first time I saw. Uh, in hand, the, the 10G and the 4G interfaces, uh, the Ethernet cables like the SFP Plus and the, and the SFP uh, sockets, uh, and, and yeah, so it's, uh, I guess that was a really, really big impact on us and how this whole SDN word uh, in a carrier great sense can look like. All right, so uh, you did some uh, performance testing, and um, most of it was good, but you found some anomalies. And the title of the talk you gave was The Performance Discrepancy of the OVS Megaflow Cache. Uh, so uh, tell, us, tell us more about the discrepancy or the anomaly that you found. Yeah, so basically, uh, when we were measuring some uh, pipelines that we figured out or that we, we got from, uh, from the industry, we we constantly uh, realized that in some cases the performance was completely different from measurement to measurement, but the use case itself didn't really change. So we might change the 
the, the Pika file itself, but or the flow rules itself, but it was still layer two forwarding or still layer layer three forwarding. And I, I still remember that we were in a in a, in a meeting room and we were presenting these plots, and and people were asking that what is those glitches uh, <laughs> on your on your plots, and how could it be? And we're just, we don't know. And then okay, let's see let's see how this whole thing is working. Uh, and then we then we got into the details and 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 saw how OVS tries to do everything in a fast pass, and they introduced the 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 multiple layers of the of the fast passes with the caches. And uh, the thing is that we found that it's uh, in the Megaflow cache, for instance, that OVS is geniusly tries to white card as many bits as it can to to reduce the the number of entries. So actually, it is aiming for reducing the memory footprint. And uh, what we actually realized is that how these entries are actually spawned into the system and can we force the system itself to spawn these Megaflow cache entries if they if it wants to cover all possible packets. And what we, what we actually find is that even if there are some heuristics in the background which tries to smartly white card a, a couple of bits, uh, then we can still find a proper I wouldn't say proper, but a, a corresponding packet sequence that can actually spawn those 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 entries in the cache, and then we figured out from measurements to measurement that as the number of entries in this megaflow cache increases, then it has a huge effect on the performance. So that's uh, in a nutshell. That's that's the thing that we were talking about yesterday. Yeah. So uh, people often ask, how fast is OVS? And that's a difficult question for a software switch because. Uh, it, it depends on a lot on what does the traffic look like and uh, what are you trying to do with the switch. And so uh, we we usually end up telling people, well, you need to really test your application uh, and <clears throat> some, some traffic that, that looks like what you think would be realistic traffic. And so uh, it's uh, we, we have a number of test cases that we particularly care about, uh, but I've never really been convinced that the, the test cases we use internally are really good representative ones. And so it's it's good to hear about people trying other things. And it's uh, kind of kind of refreshing, honestly, to hear that, that people found basically holes in our, our scheme. Uh, I, I don't know of people trying to do that before. And the, the fact that nobody had found it was probably because nobody was looking. So uh, what? Uh, tell, uh, why don't you say some things about the particular kind of traffic and the uh, particular kinds of uh, open flow flows that, uh, that, that lead to the, uh, the I, I guess I could honestly say, severely reduced performance. So you mean what were the <clears throat> pipelines that we were investigating in the, in the beginning and uh, how we get to, to find something out? So... Uh, Basically, in the beginning, we were dealing with simple flow tables, like, okay, let, let assume we have a layer two switch and just try to increase the number of entries in the flow table itself. So now we are talking about the, the slow path. So just insert uh, a lot of rules into it and assume that we got a smaller topology or a bigger topology and we install like hundreds or thousands and ten thousands of flow entries. And of course, according to the flow entries we figured out, it was it was always randomly generated, like randomly generated MAC addresses, and we always generated the corresponding PKFIs for those uh, flow tables that we installed into the system. Uh, and basically, this is how we how we measure the performance, and it was also 
uh, true for uh, for layer three routing or even more complex pipelines like uh, like telco gateways or something which does some layer two layer three at the same time and some load balancers and stuff like that so this is I guess people usually do this and people usually measure their performance like this and 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 yeah you had right about people are asking how fast things are and uh, what we actually also did uh, next to our measurements that we were carrying out some measurements on hardwares that were open flow sealed I would say so there was the open flow they didn't even put the version number of it and and we just figured out that some of the some of the vendors has actually an open we switch uh, running on top of their 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 uh, their architecture in software and they were also uh, ran out of the TCAMs and then they switched to the complete slow pass and of course on the 400 megahertz of processor the slow pass is not really fast enough so uh so yeah so so these were the cases that we we were used to measure and uh, at that time, we didn't even know what the caches are, so we don't monitor it. Um, and, and yeah, I guess uh, that's that's how we measure it. I don't, maybe I'm not answering your no, question no, no, at the no, moment, no, no, but uh, just uh, you know, start from, starting from the beginning. So this sure. is how we get into this picture. So um, that's an introduction to your your testing methodology. Yeah, and and then uh, later on, you figured out that particular kinds of flows uh, combined with uh, particular traffic. Calls. Yeah, we just randomly changed the MAC addresses, for instance, in the layer two switching, and but the num- number of entries and the number of packets were always the same. But we just uh, let a student know, uh, hey, don't you want to measure the performance open we switch? You can do a, a degree at some point <laughs> after a couple of measurements. And, and okay, how should I measure it? Okay, don't don't measure what we already measured. Just generate a, a new packet sequence, a new flow table. So, and we were always amazed that he's coming in. We were expecting some kind of results because we knew I would say we knew in advance what we are expecting, and wow, how did this guy? How did this guy achieve this kind of results? And, uh, and yeah, so this is how we finally figured out that there should be something inside the whole system which we don't really aware of. Yeah, you found uh, what I think is a interaction with a particular classifier optimization and uh, uh, and sort of the the, the caching methodology. Yeah, uh, maybe I should. Uh, again, try to give the big picture. Like, uh, of course, uh, OVS. So the first thing that we learned was that to actually reason about the performance of OVS, we need to reason about at least three layers of of, uh, of the data path. Like, uh, at the lowest layer, we have this exact match cache, which is the this is the fastest possible exact uh, uh, matching and which actually just uh, uh, stores the last uh, couple of hundred. Uh, uh, Different flows that the, that the switch actually decided uh, how to handle, uh, but this is actually an exact ca- uh, cache mesh, which means that all the particular uh, header fields uh, count when when we actually subject them to this uh, uh, to this cache, which means that even a simple uh, initial sports scan can actually overflow this flow cache. Uh, now there is the mega flow cache at the second level, which is a wildcard match. So it actually allows OVS to handle lots of lots of seemingly independent uh, uh, flows, like a single flow aggregate. Like for instance, uh, all traffic going to a particular destination IP address and destination uh, TCP port, irregardless of the source IP address. And this is, I think, the most uh, important and, and the largest performance optimization in, in OVS. Uh, uh, and at the at the uh, uh, 
the third level, the highest level is vSwitchD, which is a complete and full-fledged implementation of the of the flow table pipeline. And there is a very uh, complex and very sophisticated interaction between these two different layers of the of the of the OVS data passes. And we, we immediately figured that in order to be able to understand how performance uh, varies across this uh, this architecture, we need to somehow model uh, each of these. Uh, these different layers. Uh, the particularly uh, nasty thing about uh, about uh, performance modeling in OVS is that uh, due to flow caching and due to the fact that the flow cache actually uh, kind of introduces a certain history uh, into our measurement, the, the results that we get are always a function of the actual uh, pipeline, the flow table that we actually install into OVS, and the actual input traffic sequence that we that we give. It's not just that the the particular packets and the the way the packets are actually built uh, and and constructed matters. It's also very interesting that the sequence of the packets, uh, as as the way they arrive to the uh, to the switch, also matter. Completely different sequences uh, of packets. Uh, Resulting completely different performance in in some sense, and this is this is the nasty thing about caching is that there is always a history, and theoretically, and also I think intuitively, it's very difficult to reason about these these uh, these memory uh, memory full uh, 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 systems. I would say that's what Levy actually uh, described as the different uh, uh, sequences, the different packet traces that students actually actually came up with. Uh, produced completely different results in our in our evaluations. And eventually, I think we managed to get a good understanding of uh, of the important uh, 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 parts of this system that we need to somehow model in order to understand the performance. And this is this is the MegaFlow cache. Uh, MegaFlow cache uses a technique which is called a tuple space search, which is actually just a uh, uh, I think uh, uh, it dates back to the beginning of the 90s, and it's a packet classification uh, uh, idea. Uh, and Can it, I just interject something there? Yeah. The, the tuple space search was not well known in academia. It was, uh, um, I, I basically rediscovered it, uh, and only a year later did someone point out that it had already been invented in the 1990s. But there were hardly any references to it because in academia it wasn't really respected because uh, everybody was was looking for these different uh, tree-based classifiers and things. And uh, uh, the only references to it were references saying that it wasn't very good in effect. <laughs> anyway, please, please go on. Actually, I think efficats and hypercats these are much more you know sexier ideas than than double space search is very simple and. Uh, Turns out that is something that you can also theoretically model, uh, but of course, like being simple and, and uh, it, it's not just that sexy, like you know, just a geometric uh, uh, classifier or uh, something that uses AI or, uh, under the hood. Uh, I wouldn't go into too much detail on how tuple space search uh, uh, works, but I think the big idea here is that the more uh, different uh, combination of uh, of uh, uh, of uh, wildcard entries, uh, we want to be able to match on uh, in the MegaFlow cache. Uh, the uh, the slower the algorithm, uh, it actually does a linear swap uh, or a, a search over uh, different wildcard masks. So it tries to apply a mask, uh, see, uh, look up the the resultant uh, 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 bitmap in a in a hash, 
uh, and if there's a match, okay, uh, we found our match. If not, let's try another mask, and then let's try another mask, etc., etc. Uh, until it actually eventually either finds that uh, uh, that there is a match uh, or concludes that there is a cash miss. Now the big idea here is that the more masks we have, uh, the worse the performance. And that was, I think, the the uh, the point. Uh, the understanding this was the point where we actually could get the first. Uh, uh, grab on 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 the, on the performance modeling of OVS. So then, the the key to uh, forcing a, a poor caching uh, performance uh, would be to uh, come up with a way to force there to be a very large number of masks. So exactly. That that was that was what you did, and uh, what what forced there to be so many masks? Uh, exactly. Uh, so the the idea here is that. Uh, uh, there is a there is a very clever i would say uh combination of heuristics uh, in ovs which try to somehow balance the number of masks and the number of megaflow cache entries uh, that we have in the ovs fastpass and it's uh uh, sometimes it can be very difficult to to come up with but uh, uh cases for this uh, for these heuristics because there are there are some very clever heuristics uh, uh uh, implemented there, but it turns out that there is one particular use case, which is particularly uh, badly handled in uh, in OVS, and this particular use case is something that we do very often uh, in telco pipelines. This is the type of uh, access control lists uh, handled in OVS, which are called wildcard uh, plus default deny. So this is a standard pattern in access control, where we actually list the types of uh, flows that we let into the system and then deny everything else. Uh, I give you an example. Uh, we can actually just say that uh, for a particular VM, a particular pod or a container in our system, we allow all traffic from a particular source address uh, or we allow all traffic uh, uh, going to a particular destination port like TCP port. Uh, or uh, from a particular source uh, TCP port and deny everything else. So these types of or uh, logical connections between different port fields uh, and the default deny action, uh, these are the type of uh, of use cases that uh, uh, that allow uh, 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 sufficiently malevolent use uh, attacker uh, uh, to actually exploit. Uh, this 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 this, uh, this caching discrepancy uh, in the OVH megaflow cache. Yeah, and what what else we can say about it that it's uh, to actually figure this out or realize this, we can always just generate all kind of packets that we can and cover the whole packet space. I would say, and uh, and this is how we realize how so so getting to know how open we switch heuristics are working from the source code turned to be much more difficult than then just play with it and and and, and send some packets in it and, and see how the, the flow caches are changing. I, I hope you came across our, our paper where we talked about the heuristics we use <laughs> in the uh, classifier. But still, uh, there, it, it was not also seen. So the thing that Gabor also mentioned and I also mentioned before, it's really depending on the, the packet sequence that are coming into the system. So uh, wh how we actually measure this and figure this out uh, is was that okay for instance having a flow rule 
which is letting all traffic into the system, uh, which has a destination port 80. Okay, then let's generate all packets in that 16-bit uh, packet header field space. And then we were monitoring how the caches are changing. And then we realized that, wow, even if we are generating uh, the, par the two to the power of 16 packets, the Megaflow cache only have just 17 uh, entries and only 16 masks inside the system. But since we were able to print this information out, we see, okay, that says that like port 80, there is port 81 slash some other masks and some, some other uh, mask entries. So we were actually aware of what are those packets that, or what are those entries which are trying to cover the whole space. And, and we, we were thinking about, okay, what if we just send those packets into the system? How would OES um, uh, behave and we realized that, okay, if we send those proper packets or corresponding packets into the system, and it will so also that would, do... And so that would only be, what, 17 packets? Yeah. That, instead of uh, 64,000 yeah. of them? Yeah, yeah. So so that was the case that we could actually have the same uh, result with just a, a significantly reduced number of packets. And then, then the whole idea was just uh, escalated quickly <laughs> around how it would change if there are other header fields. Is there the cross-product problem also represented in the cache itself? And, uh, and this is how we came to the, to the fact that uh, we can actually generate and spawn uh, hundreds and, and thousands of entries into the cache, which, which is really difficult to iterate for just uh, a regular computer with a regular CPU with just a couple of cores and something like that. So to, to summarize, if I follow correctly, um, with if, if you have some knowledge of what's in the flow table uh, and you can send uh, and you can figure out exactly uh, which packets to send, then uh, potentially you can add a very large number of these masks to the OVS Megaflow classifier um, with only a, a handful of packets. Um, so you, you talked about doing it for one of the TCP port fields, but uh, you, if, if there are matches on uh, multiple fields, then uh, you could uh, basically multiply the effect so that sending exactly. 17 times, seven, times 17 packets, maybe you could generate um, uh, hundreds of, of Megaflow masks. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is that uh, in Open we switch there is a timeout for all the Megaflow cache entries, which as far as I know is set at the moment like 10 seconds. So we don't, we don't even need to be fast. So if you are in that term attacking the system, we not just a handful of packets that we need to generate, but we don't need to send it like 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 a, like a beast. So we are just sending really covertly into the system. No one will realize we have 10 seconds for a, for a complete loop of a, of a PCAP file to just send it to the system. So, so that's also kind of a, an attack surface with, which, which is really difficult to handle from, uh, from a regular security aspects. So how, how specialized are the, the flow tables that are uh, vulnerable to this sort of cache attack? Are, are we talking about uh, flow tables that would only be seen in some circumstances, or are we talking about flow tables that are fairly common? I think that you've touched on a very important uh, uh, part of this, this, the, this whole uh, research, because first we, we were actually, of course, experiencing with the type of flow table patterns that frequently arise in, in, in telco pipelines. Uh, and we've seen that, uh, that what, what are these, these, these types of flow table uh, 
patterns that actually let us attack the system in this uh, in this sense. But later on, it just occurred to me that most of the of the systems that that uh, that uh, these, these large scale, uh, I would say, cloudish uh, or virtualized uh, environments and network function virtualization pipelines actually uh, exposed to the user let even a normal and uh, completely unprivileged user to actually modify the flow tables that are uh, actually implemented in OVS. This was a very strange discovery. Just let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, Kubernetes, for instance, uh, which is a, uh, maybe uh, you are aware of, is a cluster management system allow uh, the user uh, to set certain uh, access control policies on the types of uh, traffic that can occur between different containers uh, and different pods uh, in a Kubernetes system. This uh, this particular design uh, designed for security and enhanced security uh, idea is called micro segmentation. The idea is to install different access control lists and access control rules into the workload in order to separate and isolate different types of microservices from one another. If you compromise one, uh, you're still safe uh, in, the rest of your, in the rest of your workload. Uh, uh, OpenStack, for instance, allows, OpenStack is another cloud management system, also allows uh, the users to set, I think, code port security or security groups uh, in OpenStack, which does the exact same same thing allow you to, to, to filter on traffic uh, between different VMs. Now, if, uh, if you look at the systems, it turns out that you issue some, some commands in the, uh, on the kubectl command line or in the OpenStack uh, dashboard, uh, uh, like, for instance, adding a new security group or adding a new network policy. And what the system ends up doing will be installing different entries uh, into the OVS flow tables. So what is really strange is it's not that just just ex, uh, existing flow table patterns can be exploited by an attacker uh, uh, to spawn lots of megaflow cache entries and uh, and uh, slowing down OVS, but it, it it can happen that an attacker can actually influence the types of matches that are done in OVS, and this way it uh, I think that the, these types of uh, of vulnerabilities might have a larger impact in in a cloud management system. So the, the the flow tables aren't necessarily exotic, and if uh, if an attacker can control the flow table, then it, it's basically game over. Uh, so uh, that leads up to the question of what are some ideas on how to avoid the problem in Open vSwitch? I have a few ideas of my own, but I'd, I'd like to hear what the, the, the two of you uh, have. I, I'm sure you've thought about the question, and what are your thoughts? I would just, just add one thought. Uh, to this, but of course, uh, if if we own the flow table, we own the switch. Uh, what is what is uh, really strange in this uh, in this setup is that there are very very uh, firm restrictions on the types of ACLs that can be installed into OpenStack on Kubernetes. Uh, these are exactly the type of whitelist plus default deny type of ACLs, and uh, unfortunately, these these ACLs are enough to uh, uh, to to some extent uh, play with the uh, with the mega flow cache, not that much. So, if we have, of course, we have absolute control over the flow tables, then uh, uh, then the problem is worse. But but some uh, impact can also be seen, uh, even when we can't. Uh, now, uh, regarding the mitigations, 
the type of uh, uh, of ways we can we can protect against this uh, this attack is I think that the, the first and the most convenient way would be to actually just close down the ways the user can can play with the flow tables, uh, which would uh, mean uh, implementing even more and uh, uh, stringent limitations on the type of ACS that we can install into a, into a cloud. Uh, one other mitigation which we've seen in OpenStack uh, being deployed by default is port security and uh, uh, IP source uh, uh, spoofing protection, uh, which uh, at the moment, as far as I see, Kubernetes does not seem to uh, implement uh, out of the box. It turns out that uh, for the particular uh, type of, uh, I would say, attack to work, uh, source spoofing and IP source spoofing is, is important. Uh, uh, and the, and the FEV actually just switched down, just exactly, which which is you know the old mantra uh, in internet and and in networking: don't let the users spoof the IP source address. Yeah, and then just in addition, it, so in terms of attacks, we are talking about attacks in these cloud systems, and of course, what Gabor said that basically the the current plugins for the CMS for uh, for any tenants to modify the the flow tables is just to set up some uh, access control is for the ports and of course uh, basically there is nothing else uh, so there is no access to layer 2 information to filter out there is no access to, fi to filter on the, on the source IP address for instance and the destination IP address there is but it, it is already there because this is how the cloud management system decide where to where to send the packets so in a normal way uh, we can only attack on on um, on the destination port itself, so it, it, it can be so big, or some some huge. Uh, it can be that big or, or that huge, but of course, what Ed Gabor said that if the attack is coming outside of the of the of the cloud, then where we are allowed to spoof our IP address, then we also bring 32 bits into the system, and we can reach this uh, this effect that we that we that we have shown. And the other thing that can be uh, a mitigation is always, yeah, just don't use it and switch it off and offload it. But it, it's it's not the case, so we, it's, it's it's not always helping because this is the reason why we are using this technique is because it's fast. So if we just don't use it, then maybe avoid some disadvantages of it. But we also couldn't benefit from its advantages. So uh, it's just a, a simple simple thing. And uh, what we can do here is to give more resources to the system. Because uh, if we have more cores and more resources, this linear search, the time of this linear search uh, in, in the caches can be fastened as well. But of course, in this cloud management system, they don't really want to spend more than one core on just the hypervisor switch. Uh, and what else? I, I mean, uh, we, if, 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 the, if there would be some kind of prioritization in, in the cache, uh, that might can lead to some success, but we didn't really uh jumped into this we just realized uh, that in case of dpdk as far as i remember so the dpdk based open with which it, it it tries to use some kind of per port prioritization in the, in the caches and and it turned out that if you have this kind of prioritization prioritization then uh, you can find a better balance but uh, i wouldn't say it's uh, it solves all the problem and the other thing it might can be, which is a, uh, which is too pointing into the future, <laughs> I guess, is that uh, if, for instance, if you have a, uh, if you want to filter on the destination port, so the problem is that 
people usually just pick a port which is really famous, like port 80, port 443, and stuff like that. And because they are actually pointing to one number in this whole space, this is the, the, the thing that it's really difficult for, for an open switch megaflow cache to cover the whole problem space. But if we assume that the web traffic is on port 1, the, the secure web traffic on port 2, and everything else that we can actually cover the whole problem space by two or three caches. If we somehow let the tenants know that now all your services should be from port 1 to port 10, and then we can put caches uh, to cover the whole space. But it, it, it's kind of uh, yeah, pointing out from this uh, direction, but who knows, maybe. <laughs> I would just add my take on this offloading. I think uh, offloading uh, exactly ACS is that in, in, in packet crunching is exactly the type of workload that might be of, uh, efficiently offloaded to hardware. So one approach that's occurred to me is uh, to limit the number of megaflow, uh, megaflow masks in the megaflow cache. Those, each of those masks has, can have a per packet cost, but we, and we only get a benefit from them if, they, if they're actually matched by a large number of packets. Um, if we're having traffic where uh, you know, one packet is creating the, the megaflow mask and then nothing ever references it later, then uh, it seems to me that we could actually do something uh, more more quickly. Uh, if if we're getting to have you know a hundred megaflow masks, then maybe we should drop some of them that haven't seen any traffic more quickly than uh, just after ten seconds. Uh, it, it's interesting. I've seen some production environments where people have literally hundreds of megaflow masks, and yet they still see good performance because most of their traffic is being uh, captured in the exact match cache. So it's a, a, an interesting balance there. So uh, we've been talking about the issue a long time, so uh, maybe it's getting to be time to wrap up a little. Uh, are, are there other important issues in this area that we that we, we didn't cover? Uh, other things you'd like to add before we uh, uh, sort of uh, start wrapping up? I would just add one thought to this. Uh, I think that the, the fact that we call this discrepancy an attack somehow, and sometimes this is just on, uh, I think, uh, uh, in the, to, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of, I think that the, 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 the consequence of the fact that the, the, the actual telco pipelines and the telco use cases we've experienced with uh, are really, really performance uh, uh, sensitive. Uh, most of the time, and really, really most of the time, you don't need uh, tens and hundreds of gigaflow, <laughs> gigabit per second performance, uh, and uh, and a very, very low latency, like in the, in, the, in the order of hundreds of microseconds that uh, the telco pipelines actually uh, pose. And, and in these cases, these problems do not exist at all. So, actually, we see, only see the the attack. Uh, to be effective against these types of use cases, which are extremely sensitive to to uh, to high performance. When when high performance is not your uh, uh, is not your uh, objective, and then you are concentrating much more on on you know the the the, the usual strengths of OpenVis, which like manageability and monitorability and things like that, then of course these techniques are there to no avail. That's a good point. So uh, do either of you plan to uh, do uh, more work in this area in the future? Uh, what What are your uh, plans for what to do next? Um, I, I think that uh, to a large extent, uh, these these interesting, I think that for most of the time it was just a fun project for uh, 
for bo- uh, for both of us, which which really touched on the in the actual uh, research that we are doing in our uh, uh, yeah, as our job. But but it was most of the time it was just fun playing around with, uh, uh, with OVS. So uh, I think that in this particular area of uh, 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 of uh, 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 I personally do not. Uh, plan to do further research, but I think that cloud security and exactly uh, cloud networking security and virtual network security is something which which is becoming even more and more important these days. So on that particular area, yes, I would definitely want to do further research. Yeah, we are just actually waiting for the responses from the audience, so (laughs) (laughs) now we'll see uh, whether we should uh, continue on our work or not. (laughs) All right, well, that's a great place to segue into uh, where I ask uh, each of you to tell people how they can uh, contact you and find out more about the project and, and respond. Yeah, actually, I think that the, the uh, for me particularly the best way to contact me is email. Still, email. I'm an old school guy, so uh, even though I'm accessible, I'm accessible in most most of the cases. But send me an email. Yeah, I, I'm more available on the social side, so everyone can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or or even just type at least uh, our names. I guess it's not that common in Hungary, so if you just Google us, uh, you probably end up finding us. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks again for uh, for coming by and uh, giving your talk uh, yesterday and uh, talking to me today. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for having us. It was an honor. OBS Orbit is edited and produced by Ben Pfaff using Audacity audio editing software and released under the Creative Commons unported 3.0 license. The intro and bumper music in this episode is excerpted from Electro Deluxe by My Free Mickey and the outro from Girls Like You by Stefan Kartenberg, both under the Creative Commons attribution unported 3.0 license. For more episodes of OVS Orbit, visit ovsorbit.org or for more information about OpenVSwitch, visit openvswitch.org.